It's episode five of the SSR podcast, and we're tackling one of the mothers of children's literature. That's right, folks. Today, we're talking OG girl detective Nancy Drew. I want to start with a brief disclaimer that Nancy does not emerge spotless from this conversation. Newsflash, she's not perfect, especially when you take a good long look at some of her behavior through a 2018 lens. That being said, I know you're going to love this episode. Even with her many flaws, Nancy Drew is clearly an important figure in the history of Kidlet, and I'm personally so grateful to her for forging the way for some of my favorite female protagonists. We jump right into the discussion here, so allow me to refresh your memory on the plot of The Secret of the Old Clock, which was published as the first book in the series in 1930 and was rewritten and released in 1959. We meet Nancy moments before she nearly hits a young girl with her car. The child is Judy, and she lives with her elderly aunts, the Turner sisters. Nancy learns that the sisters are related to eccentric rich dude Josiah Crowley, who has recently died. Crowley promised some of his money to the Turners, but the social climbing Topham family seems to have convinced him to change his will at the last minute, leaving them poor and without resources to support Judy. Nancy was never a fan of the Topham family, but she hates them even more now. It turns out that there are other family members counting on an inheritance from Josiah Crowley. There's the younger Hoover sisters, one of whom is desperate for singing lessons, and the Matthews brothers, who want to go on a vacation. Elderly Abby Rowan needs money for medical care. Nancy decides that it's up to her to set the situation with Crowley's will right. She goes hunting for a clock that Abby describes in hopes that Josiah's original will is hidden there. She finds the clock at the Topham's vacation home, and it gives her the information she needs to take back from the Topham's the money that was intended for all of her new BFFs. This week's guest is Case Wickman, and believe it or not, this was her first experience with the Nancy Drew series. Like me, Case is a Brooklyn-based writer, and her work has appeared in New York Magazine, MTV News, Cosmopolitan, New York Post, Bustle, and more. For her thoughts on pop culture and yogurt, and way too many pictures of the snacks she eats and her baby, her words, not mine, follow her at Worst Case, that's Case with a K, on Twitter and Instagram. I want to thank Case for riding the emotional roller coaster of this Nancy Drew discussion with me, and for being hilarious, as always. Listeners, if you're loving the SSR podcast so far, please don't forget to subscribe, submit a review on iTunes, and to tell all of your friends about it. It means so much to me to have you as part of this book-loving community. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Case. Thanks so much for joining us on SSR. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So today we're talking about the first book in the Nancy Drew series, The Secret of the Old Clock. It was originally written in 1930, and a little known fact, it was rewritten in 1959. We can maybe talk about that later. Um, I didn't know that. I know. I did a little Nancy Drew homework, and I'm pretty blown away by what I discovered. But I'd love if we could start with you filling me in on why you picked Nancy Drew. Had you read this at all when you were a kid, or what was your like background on Nancy? This is my first... Nancy Drew. I was not a Nan Stan. I I do love a mystery. I looked at it and thought, you know, can I call myself a human if I've never read a Nancy Drew book? 
and concluded, no, I've been living a lie all these years. I've not (laughs) been a human until now. And here you are, fully realized. Thankfully, you had the opportunity to read it, and hopefully now you're feeling like fully adult. It's finally happening. Great. This young adult book made me fully fully adult. Now I'm, I'm an old adult. I'm glad I've been able to facilitate <laughs> that for you. That makes, I Thank think you. that makes it a win for everyone. So your work is done here. Add it to your resume. Yeah. I mean, could we sign off or I don't know. Yeah, is that great, it? great. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. So I texted you when I started reading this, I had read the book. I was really into Nance as a kid. I was obsessed with mysteries, which is weird because I don't read them at all now, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of things that I didn't pick up on as a kid that I'm excited. Oh, <laughs> And I texted you pretty much the minute I started reading because the first sentence, I have to open my book here. So uh, listeners, please forgive any page wrestling because this is crucial. The first sentence of the book is, Nancy Drew, an attractive girl of 18, was driving home along a country road in her new dark blue convertible. Case is rolling her eyes for those listening at home. Um, What do we think about that? Let's just dive right in. What do you think about that first sentence? Oh, was this written in 1930? Was it? Uh, yeah. Was it? I think we can confirm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's peak. Everyone is slim and attractive. Everyone is peppy. It was It was a real wow. Mm-hmm. I wonder what I would have thought of this if I had read it as a teen. What is this for? This is for like tweens and teens, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what's interesting, and and I know this a little bit from my publishing background, is that like YA, young adult as a genre, is kind of new. There didn't used to be like this specific category for kids that were in late middle school or high school. So I think books that were written at this time, it was just kind of like tossed out and been like, okay, like which kids out there will read this? Right. But I, I mean, I was a little confused in a lot of ways about the age group this was intended for as well. And I'd love to hear your take on this because Nancy's age, I found pretty confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. She's 18. Yes. And my take on this is that if she were like 13 or 14, which I think when I was a kid reading this, I sort of in my head thought she was, then -hmm. she's kind of a badass. She's cool. She's like independent. She's there doing cool things. But at 18, like she's not as cool. Right. So Not to rain on, you know, feminist icon Nancy Drew, but she's not much of a feminist icon. I mean, the whole book, she's like, so did you ever watch Veronica Mars? I didn't, but it's on my list. So fill me in as necessary. Real good show. Okay. One. Great. And when I think spunky, spunky young lady detective, it's kind of the same coloring book outline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Spunky young lady. Her dad on Veronica Mars is a PI. Mr. Dad in Nancy Drew is a lawyer slash investigator. Right. Unquote. Right. We're not sure really what his first name is. We're just going to call him Mr. Dad. I believe they called him Carson at one point, but it mm. took them a while to get there. Okay. Carson. They were just like, said Mr. Drew, said the lawyer, um, <laughs> Mr. Dad. So when I picture, I was like, oh, this is going to be like Veronica Mars, but vintage. It is not when Nancy Drew is in danger, she is either going to have some mean girls say some mean stuff to her or get straight up locked in a closet to starve. <laughs> like the right. levels of peril there, very confusing. Three grown men threw me in a closet, locked the door, went away, threatened me, but also no actual like knifey, weapony 
physical violence type threats. Yep. Or it's like, by golly, those girls really are just unkind. New money. New money. New money. So tacky. But what's interesting about the violence thing, so in my, you know, new role as a Nancy Drew scholar, um, I discovered, so the original version, which was written in 1930, Nancy was actually, like, even cooler. Not even even. She was just cooler. She was much more apt to get into, like, a tough situation if necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, There was more gun violence in the 1930 version. There was more action. Um, she was less attractive, or at least they talked about her looks her less. Her attractiveness less. Exactly. It was like much less of a topic of conversation. She was a little sassier, apparently, and a lot more likely to like snap back at people when they spoke oh. to her. So I think that's kind of interesting, too. And then basically what happened was that the book's publisher, um, he passed away and his daughter decided that she wanted to like make over the whole series and rewrote it in 1959 and sort of made everything a little bit tamer. It is interesting. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can get access to the old versions now, but it would be interesting to see if it reads differently to us in 2018 with a little bit more, like, zip and maybe a little bit more action like you're talking about. Yeah, I did notice. So I got it on Kindle because I like a good contrast between my old books and my phone. Uh Um, And I did notice that it said something like, 1014 year anniversary edition mm-hmm. um that milestone yep <laughs> it does seem like she is above reproach she yeah. is saintly mm-hmm. um you know she's she's too discreet to comment on those girls and mm-hmm. uh she spends a lot of time wearing little green sport dresses with matching cardigans and oh my stars it's raining into my convertible and you know, it's it's like it's nice girl action. Yeah. The girl you loves know. a good matching sweater set also. Oh, You're yeah. A good point. Just a, a good shell, a yes. twin set, mm-hmm. perhaps. And, you know, she she always wins, but her wins are more like mean girls ripped dress. Mm-hmm. I get dressed for less and it's beautiful pale blue chiffon, you know, <laughs> like I picture her looking like um like frozen. Yeah. Yeah. You I know. Think, yeah. She's so polished. She's so put together. What's interesting, you know, with this conversation about her being above reproach, which is something that you and I had talked about before we got on today, is that there are mean girls in the story, mm-hmm. but Nancy's like kind of mean to them mm-hmm. and about them, but somehow it's okay because we're supposed to perceive her as so nice. They lost their house. Right. This is not a joke. Spoiler. Right. Like, the stakes here are are high. The top M's lost their house, and Nancy's happy about it, and somehow we as readers are supposed to think it's okay just because Nancy is the nice girl. Like, they kind of hinted, I wonder if this was part of the rewrite, but they sort of hinted at, like, an elder abuse situation where they were like, oh, he lived with us, and and he said, like, I won't be fooled by those lawyers again Mm -hmm. when talking about the wills. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, how did he come to have the will with them as the sole beneficiaries in the first place. Right. But yeah, the stakes in the long run, she's like, I understand she wants the nice people, her nice new friends. Um, you know, the little girl that she was accused of hit and running. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a, we really glossed that over in the first chapter of the book. Yeah. Oh, did you run down a child? And she's like, no. And I know she didn't, I trust her, but you know, that's, that's a great way to, 
form a lasting bond with someone. Oh, right. did you did you almost run down our beloved great niece? And I understand. I want them to to be remembered. But aren't they almost as bad as the the Tophams because they're like they're all oh I can't believe my cousin would would forget us like that mm-hmm. and he would go back on his promise and we deserve that money like they're grasping for the money too. Yeah, I mean I think the the sort of overarching problem is that there are a lot of double standards of mm-hmm. all kinds in this book. I think, you know, that's problematic when you're talking about right and wrong to an audience of children. Why does Nancy's version of right and wrong arbitrarily become the scale on which everyone else is measured? Exactly. Exactly. Nancy is uh, kind of a sneaky asshole. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think people might be surprised to hear this, but I don't think you're wrong. Um, she kind of has a bad attitude about people. Yeah. And it's sad. I mean, for me, this was one of the first books that I read for the show where I read it as an adult and I was like, oh, she as a character isn't who I thought she was or who mm-hmm. I perceived her to be. And I think a lot of that is because it's so simplistic. And I think just in terms of like, she's pretty, she's blonde, she appears to be independent in that she can like chase down interesting concepts by herself. You know, she has some utility and autonomy in all of this and that seems cool. Um, But I think at a deeper level, there's just not much there. She kind of meddles. Mm -hmm. Her whole motivation for this is based on, I think you guys are nice. I think that those girls are mean. No sympathy for, you know, they did take care of him and they did help him. This is like a... Like when you listen to Rents as a teen, yeah. this is a real musical theater nerd moment. But and when you listen it. to Rents as a teen and you're like, yeah, Roger and Mark, Bohemians, you shouldn't have to pay rent. Yep. And then you get older and you're like, you know, Benny has a point. He was just trying to help. Uh-huh. He just, he was their friend. And like, you do need to pay rent. Responsibility is <laughs> a thing. But, you know, like they were counting on that money. And at least in the version that I read, they didn't fool him or corner him into into doing it. Yeah. And she's like, good for them. They mm-hmm. to, they live in a shack now. Yeah. Good. Good riddance. Nancy, I, yeah. Nancy Drew wins the day. <laughs> always. I think she probably always does. I would have to go back and reread some of my favorites. I think my favorite one was about Nancy at some sort of a renaissance fair. But I'm sure she, Case, almost just spit out her water, FYI. Eating a turkey leg. <laughs> um, yeah, she was probably eating turkey legs, wearing crowns with ribbons down her back. Um, okay. But she won the day, I'm sure, in any situation. She has, like, such a hero complex in this book, which is Ren interesting. Fair's OG Coachella. Uh-huh, yeah. And I think, like, it is kind of refreshing, I would say, especially of the time, to see a woman, like, have a hero complex. I'll give them that because I'm yeah. sure there weren't a lot of other books being published in these years where like a female character, especially a young one was the one who was like taking these things on. But I think like you said, there's, you know, an aspect of meddling where why is it her responsibility to fix all of this for everyone? And is that okay? Are we supposed to interpret that as being a good human and doing the right thing? Right. And she's also probably like, there's some confidentiality stuff that they, that they let slide. Yeah. I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm here to talk about the law in YA. That's my specialty. (laughs) We're going to bring you on as our future legal issues specialist. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, You can be my legal correspondent as we have questions moving forward. But I agree. There was a lot. And I was thinking, too, you know, the question of age range. I was kind of Mm -hmm. blown away by the discussion of, like, 
wills and money and, like you said, the legality of all of it. I don't remember reading that as a kid when I did read it, but it kind of blows my mind now that I read it and wasn't sort of like freaked out by the whole thing. It's a little stressful. Mm -hmm. But they're like, hello, youths. Did you know that this will could supersede another will? (laughs) Have you... um, you're 14. It's about time you think about planning your estate. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's a service service novelist, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. it's morbid, I think, for a kid to have to think about that and then to know that sometimes underlying these questions of estate and death, there are people like jockeying for your money. It's an interesting setup for like the first book in a series for it to be dark. But like you're saying, it's a weird kind of dark. It's not high action dark. It's mm-hmm. not violent dark. It's kind of this weird like bureaucracy, like red tape brand of dark, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird because... It's hard to analyze what's normal in this world and not Mm -hmm. because it is so long ago, right? So she runs into the mother of these girls that she knows and doesn't like. And the mom is like, oh, or runs into, she was at their house. But the mom is like, oh, do you like our stuff? Go look at our other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Just go into our other house and look at our stuff. Yep. And someone's like, yeah, I know the person who hangs out with all that stuff. He's tall and thin. That's a uh, that's descriptive enough for for you to pick him out on the street, right? Yeah. Tall, thin, surrounded by stuff, stuff and things. <laughs> and Nancy's like, I think I will go look at your stuff. Thank you, stuff and, and things guy. Yeah, like oh, I've never met you. Go to my other house and look at my things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know that they've got. We have a plot to move along here, mm-hmm. but. But just it's it's hard for me to gauge what's actually normal in the context of the time and how people acted. Right. And should we be concerned that (laughs) she's just going to their vacation home to look at their stuff? Yeah. You guys want to look at my desk? I got some stuff here. Just pop on by. Look at my stuff. I don't need to be home. Nope. My baby will let you in. She will. Luna's there. She knows how to uh, let to push the buzzer and she'll be there to let you in. Yeah. She's Um, very handy with stairs. She is. Yeah. Um, Did you feel like, and again, I mean, it's hard to be the one who's criticizing Nancy Drew. I get that. I I don't feel great about it. I will say I read some interesting (laughs) articles about how she was a huge inspiration to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sandra Day Mm -hmm. O'Connor. And I think that's amazing. I also think that we have to be honest about the fact that there weren't a lot of other female heroines available for those women at the time that they were growing up. So. I want to respect Nance and all that she did for our female leaders. But I also want to say that, like, it sucks that there weren't other female heroines available for them to read. Yes. Um, like, I'm a big YA fan. Yeah. And it's really hard to hold this up to today's options because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm diehard Harry Potter. Hermione, the Wizarding World would have fallen without Hermione. Oh, like, yeah. They'd be doomed or... Um, to go more recent, The Hate You Give, Mm -hmm. she's not looking for, you know, she's not like, oh, I wonder where I'll find this clock and a notebook and da 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 da. You know, there there are much more pressing and revolutionary things that the YA heroines of today are doing. Yeah. So it's hard to line them all up and say, oh, yeah, Nancy Drew, you belong here. Mm -hmm. But without her, we may not have gotten to where we are now. Well, and I also think I had these thoughts while I was reading through where it seemed like, and I know part of it is because the book is intended for younger children and it's not supposed to be very long and complicated, 
but it did seem like things were moving so quickly. It seemed like every time Nancy was faced with a challenge, it was resolved within two or three pages. And there was a part of that that was frustrating to me because I was thinking that if the challenge had been a little bit harder, you know, if Nancy had had to face a little bit more adversity, it would have felt like she was a richer, smarter character. And I just wonder if the author did her a disservice by making it so easy for each struggle to be overcome, like, so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're locked in the closet? Don't worry about it. Somehow the caretaker also got out of his closet, and he'll just come and let you out. Right. <laughs> and the language around it was fully, like, they're leaving me here to starve and die. And I get the sense that it was, like, not that long. If they're like, oh, maybe we can catch the moving van still. Right. One of the things that I highlighted toward the end here is when she goes to visit the old woman, Abby, mm-hmm. and tell her that she she's getting the money. Also, Josiah Crowley. What Have you ever name? heard such a such a nice, rich old man name? Yeah. Old Mr. Crowley. Yeah, if Josiah. you're listening and you haven't uh, reread The Secret of the Old Clock, Josiah Crowley is the um, the dead guy, basically, whose will is being contested. And he's very rich and has a lot of people who want his money. Um, and apparently a big old weirdy, but they never really mm-hmm. say why. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's eccentric. He's an odd bird. We saw him in this town. There's no reason for him to be in this town. Right. Yeah, that sir. was my favorite observation was like, oh, we saw him in town. Why, was why would he, in he be town? here? And that really, that blew Nancy's mind. And again, yeah. I mean, maybe that is a product of the time. But still, for me, it's like there has to have been a clue that was a little bit more complicated that they could have included so that Nancy could have looked a little smarter. Right. Right. Well, he was seen twice in this town, and there's no reason for him to come here. They don't even have a gap here. Um, (laughs) But when she's visiting Abby and telling her that she's getting money, Mm -hmm. Abby says, It does my heart good to know you outwitted those uppity topping women. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. It's like a, is Nancy Drew Taylor Swift? Is she Mm. our problematic fave? Yeah. Oh, I think that's a good question. I mean, there's girl-on-girl crime happening in the words of Tina Fey and Mean Girls. And I don't think it's a great way to portray an interaction between young girls. And why is she right? Yeah. Have we been rooting for this, like, pretty blonde girl all along? And then you say, ooh, how does she define her friends? Mm -hmm. I have not answered this question for myself about Taylor Swift, nor have I answered it about (laughs) Nancy Drew. I'm really working through it. Thank you for listening. Uh, Well, we could continue the conversation over cocktails sometime because I can tell it's really (laughs) upsetting you. And I I don't want this to be on your shoulders. Going through a lot right now. I think that if we're going to work through the Nancy Drew part of that question, to me, what's so weird is that, like, she's meeting all of these people who are automatically deciding that she is the Taylor Swift, that she is on the side of right. And I mean, part of that's an issue with writing because there's no depth to it. But it's also just an issue of like you said, you know, it's like at that time, this pretty blonde girl is automatically going to win favor with the people in town when there's obviously a lot more to the story. Didn't they mention the top room girls looks? I think they have darker hair. I think that there was something, I think when they were in the dress shop, if I'm remembering right, yeah. they said something like, this one was pretty, this one was not pretty, but they thought that since they were rich, that they were good. I definitely made a note somewhere about how there was contrast between the way that they described Nancy's looks and the Topham's looks. Mm-hmm. It almost reminded me of the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella or yep. in the Cinderella story. 
Hilary Duff, one of my favorites. And maybe it's a similar construct where you have this sort of underdeveloped character, Cinderella or Nancy, who we are automatically supposed to accept is like the right one. And then you have these two other women who are outsiders to the protagonist and she automatically assumes that they're in it for themselves and selfish and you don't know much about them either. I think at least in Cinderella, we see them being actively mean to the protagonist, whereas Mm -hmm. here we're not getting a lot of that from the top hams. Yeah, we mostly hear from them like, we're getting all this money. We're so excited. Um, They did have a comment where they said, oh, it's very clever of Mother to never accept money for room and board. And I'm like, yeah, but he didn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not like, Mother. They're not taking anything away from her. Her stakes in this are literally, I think these people are nice. And Mm -hmm. I think you are mean. Right. So she's actively taking, I don't know. I mean, it's, I want her to have her singing lessons. I want her pal to sing. Has a nice voice, we're told. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting to see how, uh, why she gets involved and how heavily she gets involved. Did you feel like Nancy lived in a town of like 50 people? Yes. Right. Okay. Just yeah. checking. Why would he be in this town? Right. You know? <laughs> right. Everybody knew everyone. Everybody knew everybody's business. And again, you know, it is important to remember that this is all a product of the time, but I still find it kind of hard to believe that people knew this much about each other just because they lived in a small town. It seemed unrealistic. An element of that I think is okay, except that this level of being unrealistic kind of made the characters look mean Mm -hmm. um, and meddling, like you said. Yeah. I mean, who who were your... I mean, obviously you were a reader growing up, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Um, Who were your book heroines growing up i mean obviously hermione yeah um, that's a given i loved ella enchanted i think ella mm-hmm. was a rock star this is going to sound silly but the sweet valley high girls i thought were great because they felt so real to me that was very refreshing to me to see somebody who lived in a world that felt like mine kind of like getting through things and i just loved reading about them i felt like they taught very normal lessons who were your people i mean i would i would mirror hermione too yeah obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, although I was a Myrtle stan. I was a moaning Myrtle. Mm. Not so much as a hero, just as a, I think she'd be a blast to hang out with. Yeah, just like a friend <laughs> to talk to in the bathroom. Yeah, mm-hmm. just very entertaining. She would never judge you for having feelings. No. Yeah, definitely on the Hermione side of things. I was a big Ella Enchanted fan. I loved that. I loved um, Please Don't Kill the Freshman. I mean, this is not fictional, but there was a memoir I read called Please Don't Kill the Freshman. Mm. And it was a very, it was a freshman high schooler in Portland who wrote a memoir about her freshman year. And it Hmm. it all felt very like, I felt very seen. I read it before I was a freshman. And it was this very kind of alt, cool, nerdy, I just like books and my friends, Mm. normal life diary entry with style. Interesting. Um, And so I liked people who I could see myself in Mm -hmm. and people who I wanted to see myself in. Okay. So a little aspirational sometimes. Mm -hmm. I have not saved many worlds, magical and otherwise, but I I wish I could identify more with someone who took all their book learning and applied it to their situation and, and doing good in the world. And I think we got a lot of that in the 90s. Like I think we started to see that more. But there's definitely a transition period between this kind of book with Nancy and then what it took to get to somebody like Hermione, who 
really found her strength in being smart and in being creative and resourceful. I'm excited over the course of this podcast to explore like all the shades in between because it's obviously very complicated and it took us a long time to get there. What did you think about, let's talk about Mr. Dad. Mr. Dad. Um, Mr. Carson Drew Dad. Dad Drew. Esquire. Esquire, investigator at large. I want to talk a little bit about their relationship because for me, Nancy's relationship with her dad was one of the things that sort of confused me in terms of like placing her on the age scale. And and again, I think this is part of being in the 30s or the 50s when it was rewritten. And I'm sure that the expectations were different um, as far as like how long people lived at home and took care of their fathers. But um, something that really kind of frustrated me was that over the course of the book, Nancy is supposedly the one who's taking charge on this investigation, but she's constantly, constantly asking her dad for permission for things, Mm -hmm. constantly asking him to lead conversations with third parties and constantly waiting for him to be the one to like announce these revelations that they're having. And she's 18. Mm -hmm. It's not like she's 13. So that for me, I found frustrating. And that I felt didn't even really quite make sense in the context of the time. It just seemed sort of like a misstep plot wise. Yeah. Well, she, I think that they needed a man to give her agency, Mm -hmm. an older man. I can understand why that would be, that does make it hard to, hard to age her or understand whether 18 meant something different then than it does now. Like, what was she supposed to be doing? Yeah. Like, was she like, yeah, exactly. Was she like waiting out college? Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And at the end, one that stuck out to me was, and this is another mean nice girl moment was her saying oh dad can i can i be there to see their faces yes i hated that oh that was pretty rude i understand she wants to see the fruits of her investigation but it was it was presented in a way of i just want to be there to see them when they realize that they're not getting they're not getting all the money that they thought that they were going to get that was generally a moment that it combined her reliance on her dad with her mean girl tendencies and that mm-hmm. I thought was really not a good look for her. Where is her mother? Is her mother dead? Did they mention that? I think in the later books it's implied that she's dead. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the dad ever gets into another relationship. It's sort of preserved as this, you know, this is how the mom died and now they're left the two of them and they have to rely on each other and And the housekeeper. And the housekeeper, naturally, who kind of seems, it almost reminded me a little bit of Alice in the Brady Bunch, how she's like (laughs) kind of part of the family, but also makes the meals. She's like cookie made. Yeah, exactly. She's like, does anybody want dinner? I'm going to go to bed if you don't. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Nancy, I thought like even the housekeeper, Hannah, like she could have been a confidant for Nancy and that would have been like another kind of cool female figure that wouldn't have Mm -hmm. been that crazy even in the 30s just for her to have somebody else to talk to would have been helpful yeah Um, I just I wonder about the choice to have her be motherless but still have a female authority figure in her life but one where it's like strictly professional yeah really I mean she like gives her kisses on the cheek and stuff but she's like okay clean up the kitchen thank you goodbye right we're paying you still yeah, you do live here, but you're yeah. not my real mom. Right. It seemed like a, a choice without a lot of payoff or effect. Do you think, and I ask this because so much of the, of the content of this book is about money. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I don't know that it's relevant. Do you think that Nancy is rich and yes. does it matter? Yes. I think that she has money. I agree. Um, she, But she's thrifty. She's old money. Uh-huh. 
Um, she's earned it, but she's not, she's not gauche. Um, <laughs> you know, she has her dark blue convertible, mm-hmm. um, which she drives along recently constructed highways. Yes. Did that jump out at you too? Yeah, never. She's, she's never in like the, she's never on the city streets. She's never driving on the dirt roads. She yeah. selected a recently constructed highway. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. It's like a very specific phrase that I remember. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And she, oh, I have to, I have to buy a dress for the dance, but mm-hmm. I'll buy this other one because material doesn't matter to me. Um, right. I don't want to be showy. Yeah. And I think that it is interesting because it, it is a class thing because she meets these people who have less than she does. She says, oh, that must be terrible. Mm-hmm. And she takes them on as her as her cause because she because she pities them. Oh, it's these two young girls living here with no furniture and no singing lessons. She doesn't really seem to care about like, oh, they their house is there's not a lot going on there. They don't have a lot of food. They blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, we must get you singing lessons. We have, you know, you're talented. We have to polish your voice. Right. And the old woman, she's like, your neighbors should be helping you. Why don't you have anything? Yeah. You've got to get some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the Turners, she, they, she like wants them to be able to give Judy a certain level of childhood. It's not necessarily a conversation about food or shelter. It's like, we want, you know, I want Judy nice to have toys. Nice school and toys. And Mm -hmm. there's a weird divide there where she doesn't seem to understand why it's bad to not have money. Mm -hmm. But she's also like, you need money and we should get you money. It's it's both sides of it where she's like, oh, you're getting along fine. Money would be nice, but you need money. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's for all the wrong things, at least to a reader. I think something that's also frustrating is that pretty much everybody that she has to help is a, is a woman. And again, like there's, there's so much potential for good stuff here at this time in history, especially if there had just been like one or two more men who could have benefited from what she was doing. I mean, there are two men who are kind of involved tangentially, but it didn't they really go on vacation. Yeah. They want to go on vacation. <laughs> um, they really aren't going to be able to benefit from the finding of this will as much as the women. And I just think there's such this like damsel in distress theme that I'm glad I didn't know was happening when I was reading it as a kid, because Mm -hmm. it really is like all of these women that, that need help. And the only women that, that Nancy doesn't want to help are the mean women or the women that she thinks are mean. So it's kind of putting women into two boxes of either needing help or kind of like, fuck you. You guys are assholes. Yeah. Which I think is, like not a great way to categorize your fellow women. Yeah, that's tough. I didn't I didn't think about the fact that the only men that she helps are like, yeah, we would like love to go on a cruise. Yeah. Loves a cruise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We would love to go to like the Chinese buffet on the uh, on the carnival ocean yeah. liner. Yeah, but that's it. I'm needed on the Lido deck. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough. And I can't get over the fact that she literally at the end, she's like, ha they lost their house. Right. Blah. <laughs> you showed them they're homeless. Oh, mm-hmm. OK. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But good thing I saved all these other women that were helpless. There's just like no one in between. I don't even think that Nancy falls squarely in between. So we just needed some like more normal female characters that were like strong without being mean. Right. Yeah. She doesn't prosper because of her virtue necessarily. Mm-hmm. But then people do do her favors. And at the end, did you notice that she uh, she kind of poo-poos the clock at the end? 
uh, they give her the clock and she's like, for a job well done. And she's never mentioned that she, you know, found the notebook in there. Right. Um, She was thrilled and gazed meditatively at the old clock. Though quaint, it was not handsome, she thought. But for her, it certainly held a special significance. She was too modest to explain to Allison and Grace why she would praise the why she would prize the heirloom. She's gonna put it in the closet. It's not gonna go out where people can see it. It's ugly but important, so I guess I'll hang on to it. Yeah. How how sweet. How quaint. Yeah. I, I can keep a space for this in my father's house. Exactly. Well, if it makes you feel any better, as far as her just seeming like an asshole at times, one other thing that happened between the first version and the second version, um, as much as I think I would like to meet the first Nancy more than the second Nancy, she had some even more rude moments the first time around. She actually, mm-hmm. it sounds like she like more publicly discredited the Top Am sisters. Like <laughs> the incident with the ripped dress that we read about in the new version, it actually was was more of a furniture store and the sisters broke a vase and Nancy like lost her mind in front of all these people and was like you guys are stupid like how did you break a vase how tacky are you so it just goes around breaking vases yeah who do you think you are um so I think like that's a positive in the rewrite and also a positive in the rewrite rewrite that I think we can all be grateful for is that there was apparently some racial issues in the first version and those were all written out so Yeah, there was some um, issues with like incredibly prejudicial dialect and that sort of thing that were quickly edited out in the 1959 rewrite. So I think we that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was surprised that that we didn't hear Mm -hmm. more of that. And now it's all coming together. They did mention, quote unquote, a Chinese. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) That made me cringe. It was solved by a Chinese. Mm. Oh, (laughs) Chinese person, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That'll make you be like, yeah, I agree with you, though. I was kind of waiting for more and I was relieved that there wasn't. I was worried that like some of the thieves or something at the end were going to be described in a certain way physically. And I wonder if that was was in the original. Mm. Um, So that's a relief for sure. Something else. So a lot of people, when I told them that I was reading Nancy Drew for the show, their initial reaction was that all the Nancy Drew books were written by men. And so, of course, they're sexist. Actually, the first few weren't, and a lot of them weren't. A lot of them were written by women. There were a few that men did write. So FYI, the full Nancy Drew series is written under a pen name of Carolyn Keene, but there were actually like a lot of ghostwriters that wrote them. The first woman who wrote them was named Mildred Wirt, and she was like 24, just out of college. Basically, this male publisher gave her outlines for all of the books, and mm-hmm. then she wrote them for $125 each, which is hilarious. Wow. Yeah. Um, I hope she got like some kickback once the book started to sell. But. Right. Would you take that rate? Prob- I mean, at one time I might have, but these days <laughs> I like to think that I have a little more self-respect. I, I'm yeah. sure you wouldn't either. You know, I'm, there are days that I think we, uh, we're like, okay, I'll take that. These were written by women, but they were outlined by a man. So for whatever that's worth, I mean, I, I don't know how much say he had in the character development, but it kind of seems like he might have had some say. That's interesting. I didn't go, I went into it with a, a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know any of the, the real world info about yeah. it. Uh-huh. I wonder how they chose the name then, Carolyn Keene. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't see anything about that, but it does seem like oddly specific. You know, it's not like a Smith or a Jones. Maybe this is cynical of me, but it, it seems like they wanted a 
a book for the ladies. Yeah. For those those four reading ladies uh-huh. um, in the world. And <laughs> we'll, we'll get their book money and needed to come up with a, a plucky heroine name and a plucky author name. Right. That Carolyn Keene and Nancy Drew in her green sport dress, matching cardigan, bah, bah, bah. Blue um, convertible. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the hole that they were trying to fill there. Well, I did find a quote from the publisher to your point about like the four reading women. So bef- so he published a lot of other books before Nancy Drew. But in 1905, um, he is said to have written somewhere this quote, almost as many girls write to me as boys and all say that they like to read boys books. But it's pretty hard to get a boy to read a girl's book, I think. Hmm. <laughs> Girl books. Right. And and it's hard because he, I mean, he did. He published these books. He um, also was was the guy behind the Dana Girls mystery books, which I also mm-hmm. read as a kid. So, I mean, he did get these books out there. But I think similar to what we're saying about Nancy herself as a heroine, it's nice to take those first steps. But it is upsetting that there's kind of these problems lurking in the background um, in terms of the intention and then how it's actually carried out. Right. I wonder what bullet points they needed to hit Mm -hmm. um, in these outlines and what their intention was and was the motivation, let's give girls a girl hero, which is a good motivation. And maybe that's where they needed to start. Maybe that's how we could get to the Hermione's of books and how we could get to the Veronica Mars's of TV. Right. Yes. Another plug for Veronica Mars. It's great. She's a real badass. Um, Also Kristen Bell. I love Kristen Mm -hmm. Bell. So yes. My imaginary best friend, Kristen Bell. And we all hang out at my other imaginary best friend, Mandy Moore's house and we eat off nice plates. Um, Can I come? Is am I invited? Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. In her newly renovated mid-century modern home. Uh, Lovely. I'm fine. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah i wonder um, yeah. i wonder where we needed to start to build on to get to where we are today and where we need to go from here are we going to look at i mean i guess that there's already been i mean using harry potter as an example yet again but there has been critical commentary building on how for example harry potter needed to be would have been different if it had been written today than when it came out uh, yeah 20 years ago. Like JK Rowling is another example of someone who has characters who she sees as irredeemable and she hates and it comes across in the books. That's true. And how do you, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of territory in terms of what's problematic about Nancy Drew, but are there any specific ways to that point about how a book like Harry Potter would have to be written differently even now? Are there any key things that you think, you know, even are there one or two changes that could be made to a book like Nancy Drew? If it were redone today, that would make a big difference. You know, I wonder, given when it was written and when it's set, Mm because I assume that it's set around when it was written. Right. Maybe this is the best we can do Hmm. within rationality. I don't know. You know, I, I would have loved for her motivations to be a little bit different, but to be realistic about this fictional story, who, what would get an 18-year-old who had not ever investigated anything to, I mean, she didn't even call it my first case, Um, but what would get someone interested in solving, it's not even a mystery, really, solving a problem, seeing something that seems off, getting in there and saying, you know, I think that I could look into this a little bit and see what's really up and having that curiosity. What will get her curious and motivated enough to Go look at someone's things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, for me, 
and and this isn't even a question of time. I think if they had changed her age, it would have made a huge difference for me. If they had you made her a little younger. younger. Yeah, I think if she had been maybe 15 or, I mean, I, I think her being able to drive obviously is key to the plot. But I think even if she was 16, she would have felt a little ballsier to me. Mm-hmm. And it would have made more sense that she was still including her dad in a lot of conversations and asking his permission for things. Just that small adjustment. I mean, there obviously are a lot of other problems that ideally would be changed, but I think just shifting her age would make her a little bit more dynamic and cool. I wonder if it's the aspirational thing, though. Mm -hmm. Like, you read 17 when you're 13. That's true. If you're 10, 12 reading this, 14 maybe doesn't seem that old. 16 might seem old, but 18, like... Man, that is when I will be a grown-up. That's a good point. That is a good point. So as someone who hadn't read this before, yes, I don't know how much you knew going into it, but did it meet your expectations? You know, was it better than you thought it would be, worse than you thought it would be? Was it more offensive? Um, how did it match up to what you'd heard? Um, it was a lot more low stakes mm. than I thought it would be. One thing that I love when I'm reading mysteries or watching TV shows or following any kind of story is... When you can pick up clues and see how things are going to come together. Hmm. Like I watched Lost when it was on and it drove me bonkers because there were no rules. I love rules. (laughs) 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 Where It was like everything seems normal and this seems like a world that you the same world that you inhabit and it obeys the laws of physics and logic. And so when I look at things, I'm I'm the annoying person who's like. I have to guess how it ends. Mm. I'm watching movies and the whole time I'm leaning over to whoever's sitting next to me, my poor husband going, she's a ghost. She's, <laughs> she's been dead all along. And, like, and it's like, yeah, what have you watched a movie without guessing the ending? One thing that I don't love that happens a lot, which people don't have to follow, um, is the kind of cascading mystery, the cliffhanger mm. mystery. Weird, not given clues. Uh, that would allow us to solve the problem. Okay. Um, I mean, the biggest clue was that it's it's the mystery of the old clock. So I figured that a clock would be pivotal in some way. True. I didn't realize that it was, you know, just in the title where it's like, hey, stuff you need's in the clock. It's old. Um, <laughs> which specific clock? I So the whole time when I started and it was like, these men asked if they, if I had any furniture I wanted to sell and they took my furniture away. I was like, oh, it's in one of their clocks. And the guys, they didn't steal the furniture. They stole everything else, but they didn't steal their furniture. I was like, oh, it's it's going to be in this clock that they just sold. Where it's like, oh, do you guys just happen to have any anything you want to sell? I know you're full. <laughs> that frustrated me. But that is not a Nancy Drew specific. That's just a my problems with the world specific that I was like, damn it. Got it. it just, it's definitely geared for younger people in the way that it will end with a cliffhanger exclamation point at the end of every chapter. So I don't know that I ever would have just picked it up to read going, I'm a full fledged adult now. Uh, I should probably, I should probably get on this Nancy Drew stuff, but it's, it's interesting now to read it as a lifelong reader and as a book enthusiast and also uh, personally thinking about raising a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a new baby. 
right now while we're recording this, she's almost four months old. And when you have a baby, all you do is spend all your time thinking about the baby and what she's going to be and how she is and what she's doing and how you're going to teach her things. And I don't know that I would be thrilled with her reading this. Interesting. That was going to be my next question. So I'd love, so like, would you give it to her and ask and sort of talk to her about it first? Or do you think you would just be like, nah, just skip it? Yeah, well, if she was like, oh, should I read this? I'd be like, well, you can. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, that's not the things that people put on Nancy Drew now. I mean, like you were saying, okay, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that she was a huge inspiration, all that stuff. You know, I had this image of her as as this like plucky, resourceful. She stands up to authority. She does things that she's not necessarily supposed to do. And maybe that is reinforced by reading more of the books. And I want all of those adjectives to describe my daughter. Mm. I, you know, I want her to be a strong and independent person and I want her to be confident and I want her to get things done. But I don't know that the book lived up to my expectations of those adjectives. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that it necessarily demonstrated that. So I wouldn't be like, no, don't go near this demon book. But I don't I don't know that it is a great demonstration of those qualities. You're not going to wrap it up and and give it to her as a gift. Yeah, exactly. Model your life on this. And I also got you a green sport dress. (laughs) Happy birthday. May all your dreams come true. Yes. <laughs> I made your father a lawyer, Mr. Dad. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, I do hope Luna one day grows up to read Nancy Drew, and maybe she'll totally disagree with us on all of this, but I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She is getting her first dose of Harry Potter, though. We're very slowly making it through uh, book one, and I, I think that she is... Um, I think she's really taking it in. The first of many read-alouds of Harry Potter in your house, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I put them on my registry. Come on. Yeah. Not kidding. That's a strong move. (laughs) I really, I think that was a good decision. They're illustrated. It's fine. It's basically a children's book. And they're beautiful, probably, too, right? The illustrations. (laughs) This is a great discussion about Nancy Drew. I really appreciate you diving into this with me. I feel kind of bad that we sort of shot on a literary I know. classic, Sorry, but it's the truth. It's, I really think there's a lot of uh, good context here for like what came after, but as a book, I'm not sure that it holds up. I wonder, I wonder what, how I would feel if I reread like Babysitter's Club or Babysitter's Little Sisters. Yeah. Those were biggies for me when I was younger. And I'm like, I wonder if I would feel differently about Nancy Drew or if it would just really be one of those like looking back at a picture of yourself when you're a tween and you're like, nope, 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 mine. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I read this as a kid and I did not feel that nostalgic as I was reading it. Like I didn't feel, I think there will be other books that I'll read, Babysitter's Club probably being one of them where I'm like, oh, there's things about this that I don't love, but I still can't help but have all of these sentimental feelings about it. I did right. not feel that way with this. Yeah. I When I when I look at books that, I, that were important to me um, as a kid, I would like my worst feeling to be the equivalent of, ooh, I shouldn't have chosen that haircut, uh-huh. not, oh, wow, I would super take that back if I could. I think that's a great way to sum it up in a good analogy. Do you have any books that you're reading now that you want to recommend to our listeners? Is there something you've read in the last couple of weeks, doesn't have to be a kid's book, um, that you think everybody needs to get their hands on? What am I reading now? Oh, I'm reading, this is, 
This is embarrassingly typical because I'm a new mom. Um, I'm reading Megan O'Connell's memoir, and now we have everything. Mm-hmm. It's about pregnancy and new motherhood. Sorry, I have a. I'm in a rut right now. I'm not a rut. My mind is in a certain place. That is fantastic. Her birth story is online on Medium. I believe the title of the post is just called A Birth Story, and it was the most detailed and helpful yet horrifying description of birth, um, giving birth in a hospital that I've ever read, because wow. I feel like everyone has kind of a, a vague idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's very step-by-step, step, but told in a very compelling way. So for anyone who wants to read a birth story, um, I'm listening to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the Golden State Killer book. Oh, okay. Right now. Um, yeah, that also fits into the mold of new motherhood, right? Yeah, uh, so on brand, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really enjoying that seems to be the wrong word. I find it compelling. Good. Well, I'll include links to those books in the show notes, along with a link to Nancy Drew, Secret of the Old Clock, in case anybody wants to grab a copy and maybe disagree with us. In any case, I really appreciate you joining us, Case, and I hope you recover from your Nancy Drew experience. Thank you. I think I might pull through. Just maybe. Thank you so much for having me on. This was this was really interesting and fun. Sure. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.